Meredith, welcome to the Shift Podcast. I'm really excited to have this chat with you and you bring wealth of experience and I cannot wait for my audience to hear about that experience. So give us a little bit of a snapshot about who you are and your career story. Thank you, Elena. Well, it's interesting. The thread that's throughout is that I always have loved teaching and it's taken different forms. And I started out wanting to just be a classroom teacher and after a few years of teaching elementary school, I realized, gee, I don't think I'm set up to do these same routines on a constant basis. So I got my master's, moved into school board office administration, where I was supervising different programs. And I loved working with the teachers, but I was paying a price with the politics and the bureaucracy. And I just found I couldn't do those very well. So I had always loved you know, helping people grow and learn and improve. And so I decided to leave and start my own one person consulting firm where I helped others focus on communication skills. And this was risky because I had never had a single business course in my life. Mm -hmm. So I had no experience. So any of your listeners that might be thinking of making a shift, I would just say, Pull on the confidence because that's what I really built on my confidence that I could figure this out. I I, I didn't know the road. There was no roadmap. There was no internet back then. Yeah. And so I just tried different things. And I found that speaking to groups was a great way to introduce myself to potential clients. So I did that for a number of years. And then I met a guy named Denny Coates. We started collaborating. He was a solo professional as well. And we just started doing some things together, leadership development, team building, all around communication skills. And we decided, hey, we're pretty compatible in our values. Let's put our two businesses together, bring in a third partner who managed all the other parts of the business. And so that's what we did for a number of years. And then, so that was a major shift. I remember hardly sleeping the night before we made the decision to move into shared office space. <laughs> so like moving in with somebody else, oh. is this going to work out? Well, we've been working, the three of us have been working together now for 31 years. So it worked out quite well. Uh, but we had another shift in the early 90s. We wanted to use what's called 360 degree feedback, which many of your listeners might be familiar with, to help give managers feedback from the people who work with them. And the tools that were out, there weren't many back then, and they were all expensive and rigid. You couldn't customize the questions. So we decided to create our own. We beta tested it with our clients and then start decided, you know what? A lot of other people are looking for a tool like this. So we made the shift to be a software company mm -hmm. from being consultants. So we stopped doing the consulting part and strictly focused on uh, bringing this tool to the market. And I've been focused on the sales and marketing, building relationships with clients, potential clients, resellers over all these years. And I just love it. I'm as enthusiastic as I've ever been. And since then we've published books. That's another shift, I guess, or addition. So we're all about helping create workplaces where people thrive because they know they have better skills for communicating with each other. Mm. Hey you, thanks for watching.
If you're enjoying this episode, make sure to share it with friends and family who might find it interesting. Make sure to hit the subscribe button as well to stay up to date on weekly new videos that are going to be coming out with some awesome guests that I bring on. And uh, if you have any questions, use the comment section to ask me questions, to interact. I look forward to talking to you. You know what's, um, and I appreciate you, you mentioning that, um, just how many shifts you've had in different kind of capacities, whether it's within business or you on an individual level. And I think it's so important because a lot of times we get stuck in this notion that we have to stay the same or that we have to be perfectly aligned with what we should be doing and, and that you have to be totally ready. And when it comes to business, you're never really ready. As much as you think you're going to prepare, and but you know way better than I do. I mean, and I'm I'm looking for advice here, you know. But it's like I'm sh- I'm sure you when you jumped into business, you you know you might have you might not have been realized you might not have realized how not ready you are until you jumped into it. At least that's what happened. And I was like, oh, I, looking back, I'm like I really wasn't ready, but I did it, and I'm fine. You know what I mean? So it's um it's interesting. Yes, and you know one of the things that I think is so important no matter what you're doing, if you're starting an individual or, you know, initiative inside an organization, or you're leaving to follow a different opportunity, having a support system, other people who believe in you reinforce what you're doing. So you're not hearing the doubters, because our own minds can create enough doubt for us. And when we hear from others, oh, I don't know that you ought to do that. I mean, there were people in my family who expressed these kinds of doubts, and I had to just block that out in order to not be derailed and start thinking, what if this doesn't work out? I focused on how do I make it work and what do I need to do? So having people who believe in you, surround you to support you, I think is really critical. Yeah, I think that's such an important point, um, not to take well, it's, it's, it could be actually a sign. So I think that when you're starting off in business, um, at least what I kind of hear from entrepreneurs, and I love it that it's, it's like a continuous thing. It's like, it just goes through generations in terms of, it's the same thing that it was when you started a business versus somebody else was starting a business today. There's always going to be somebody in your ear kind of uh, uplifting their, their own fears onto you. And then it's up to you to actually internalize it or say no i got this and it's very tempting to internalize those things um as as an individual and so environment absolutely matters it's a very good point yeah it's um what what i also find interesting is that you mentioned um communication and i'm always astonished and i know this might be silly and kind of self-explanatory but communication we've been doing this for we've been doing these kind of sessions for so long Yet it is still, it is still the number one issue we have in on individual basis, um, yes. organizational levels, just to showcase how, how it's just, it needs to be a continuous study of how to better communicate. <laughs> Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yes. Well, you know, the sad thing is, Elena, most of us didn't grow up in homes where really powerful, effective communication was on display. You know, our parents do the best they can, but this isn't taught in our schools. You know, we don't put any emphasis on how to connect with another human being in an effective way. So you both get each other's messages. And of course, the foundation of all the various communication skills is listening. And the issue there is that we tend to think we're good listeners, but in reality, we're more often waiting for our turn to talk. 
we're waiting to for our chance to get in our opinion, make the argument that we're right. You know, there are all these things that we do unwittingly that get in the way of clear, direct communication. Mm -hmm. And so often, <clears throat> often our fears are based on the fear of the other person's reaction, fear of rejection. You know, we, we have this need to be approved of, mm -hmm. or at least to belong. And if we don't, if we're, if we don't feel safe, if we're feeling that that's at risk, we will hold back expressing how we really feel, what we really think about situations. And so what does that look like in a dysfunctional home or office is people are talking behind each other's backs or they're not speaking up. You know, there are all these things that can happen when we don't feel that we can be totally honest with another person. Mm -hmm. And so to me, it all boils down to what kind of example is the leader showing? Mm. Because people can't feel that safety in opening up if they sense there are going to be, or they have witnessed negative repercussions or retaliation for being honest. So I think one of the key aspects of leadership is being willing to be humble and by that, I mean, being willing to admit your own humanness. So when you make a mistake, you admit it quickly mm -hmm. because people know you made the mistake. And so to try to blame someone else or cover it up only creates more bad feelings. Mm -hmm. And so being willing to, you know, what is the environment like? What is it that keeps me from speaking directly to this person? Sometimes it's my own stuff going in my head, right? Mm -hmm. I'm concerned. I've created this story in my head about how somebody is going to respond when in fact, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But if I have seen things in the way other people have been treated, or maybe I've been treated by this person, that impacts my willingness to risk and mm -hmm. be open. So there are all these experiences that we each bring to the workplace, to the families that we join into mm. that impact our sense of or willingness to communicate. So it's complicated. It's not easy. Yeah, it, it is. And um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's a continuous thing. And the moment that you feel like you got it, something happens, you're like, okay, not my best moment. And you feel like you have to go back to the drawing board and get better at that particular, within that communication relationship building piece, whether at work or personal life. What I wonder, and um, and obviously I'm of course I'm, I'm biased coming from this field, but this is where you know when I have these conversations, I'm continuously more and more convinced of the importance of that coaching aspect because a big part of this awareness that you're talking about is the first stepping stone of emotional intelligence in mm -hmm. communication and lead in everything, right? And everything that we do, especially in in, in this day and age, so. And, and it's very hard to be self-aware. I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of it. You know, it's very hard to be self-aware. Um, and it's like, it's like different, peeling different layers. And this is where that unbiased um, objective opinion of a coach or a mentor or somebody like that comes into play. Well, I think you're absolutely right because we all have blind spots. You know, let's just, get that on the table. No one is totally self-aware. Mm -hmm. 
And so there are things that another person can see in us, especially someone like a coach who's detached. You know, they don't have that emotional involvement with us as a personal relationship or as the, you know, manager or there's not, there's, it's a separate professional relationship like you would have with your doctor or, or an attorney. And so they are, you know, brought in or someone internally are able to ask the right questions, listen well, hopefully their emotional intelligence is very high. So they are able to stay objective, not react if the client, you know, responds negatively to something that is said and is able to hold up the truth to the person about their behavior, either through the coach having interviewed other people who work with this person or, you know, whatever tools they've been able to use to help identify with that client, what areas are causing them problems and where do they need to improve? And then being willing to support, encourage, and coach them as they work through that. Because, you know, the problem with so many training programs that are geared to improving communication skills is there a one-shot deal, you know, or even if they run over, you know, a couple of weeks, that's not enough time for someone's brain to get rewired for the new way of doing it. That requires practice, you know, reinforcing the behavior, also getting feedback, how am I doing, and support. And coaching is the best form of, of support for that. So that to me is where coaching serves such a good purpose because it's over time and it's helping the person be aware and cognizant of practicing whatever behavior it is they've committed to work on. So mm -hmm. the next time they have that meeting, they and their coach are able to look at Am I making progress? Did I follow through on my commitments? And that kind of accountability tied in with support is really important for long-term behavior change. Mm. Yeah, I think accountability is a big, big part of it because, you know, change is hard for people, like you're saying. Yes. To make that happen, it's very hard. And, you know, you, you and if you don't have the supportive environment, and sometimes you don't have that, the accountability buddy at home, so you need that you know, unbiased um, kind of objective coach by your side. So accountability is a big part of it. Um, what would you recommend to somebody who, you know, might not be ready for coaching? Because a lot of people are hesitant, at least in the, especially in the Middle East. I mean, in the US and Western countries, it's a little bit more good, like in terms of how it's viewed. In the Middle East, it's still very much a taboo. It's We're just now coming out of this notion that coaching is a therapy-based approach or something like that. Like, you know, a lot of people see it as a taboo, like, well, nothing's wrong with me. Why do I need coaching? And where, you know, so it's still a little bit new to that, but, and then there's also the other notion of people who are saying, well, I don't know if I'm ready to invest into a coach or maybe they can't afford a coach. What is this, a good starting point for somebody to determine is coaching right for them or if they can't afford it, what can they do instead? Well, I would just use a generic phrase of peer coach. Find someone else who is interested in growing, learning, improving in certain areas, and you agree to be coaches of each other. It doesn't have to be complicated. You know, you agree on a certain time, 
you know, there are people that have running buddies, for example, they wouldn't get up and really do that walk or run every day without this commitment to the other person. So you could work with another trusted person who cares about your success and you care about theirs mm -hmm. and you agree that you're going to make this commitment to talk to each other, either in person, you know, over Zoom or um, the phone, whatever the, the medium will be, but also the frequency. And then you look at identifying what's my goal? What is it I want to do? Where's the gap between who I am now and where I want to be? And looking at here's what I'm going to specifically work on and making that commitment so that when you have your regular meetings, you take turns asking each other, what did you do? How did it go? And you help them process and learn from whatever that experience was, good or bad, so that the next time they encounter the opportunity to use that skill or that behavior, they have that learning in mind as they go into that situation. Mm -hmm. So a, a peer coaching kind of situation serves for the support and the accountability together. And if it's someone who knows you well, you know, providing that feedback and coaching and coaching often really boils down to listening well and asking questions. So you don't have to feel the pressure of, I got to have the answers for this person. You know, when they tell, come to me with this problem, I've got to be the expert. No, it's not like that at all. What a peer coach is really doing is helping the other person uncover mm -hmm. their own motivations, you know, the their their own thinking about why something happened the way it did mm -hmm. so that it's not pressure really for either one of them. It's an opportunity to have someone that you know has your back mm -hmm. and is there for you. And that way they may be able to stay in touch in between if one of them has an issue and they really need to talk about it. But it's a shared responsibility that I think makes it um, simpler and easier for someone that wants to, you know, dip their toe into what this coaching is all about. Mm. Um, and you have a beautiful book around that. And I think it's called peer coaching, right? That's the actual title, right? It's peer mm -hmm. coaching. And, um, and I very much appreciate it because it's very practical. And that's another thing I think people can use as like a guidance of how, how to have, like go into more depth into how to go into a peer coaching um, situation. Um, and I think there's a lot of misconception. I'm curious to kind of understand what was your motivation to write a book because a lot of misconceptions around books and publishing books that, well, people do it to make money. And we both know it's not about that. It's more about putting a message out there. It's something to share with the world, somebody that people can actually utilize and use and, you know, great if there's some money that comes from, but majority of the authors, you know, some of the best authors out there don't make the revenue that people assume. So, so what inspired you to write a book? Because that's a big uh, challenge, book writing in itself. So what yes. inspired you to write that book, especially on peer coaching and the other one? Well, the, what motivated that book was the book we wrote before that, which was called Connect With Your Team, mm -hmm. the Mastering the Top 10 Communication Skills. Because we wanted to create a book that really mapped out in a very practical way, here's what this skill is. Here's how you do it. Here's example of dialogues where it's done poorly and done well. And then here's how you practice. 
So it was very specific. And we realized after we published that book that it's knowing what we know about what it takes to really change behavior, we thought we need to do a companion book that really encourages people to work in pairs with another person as they're working to improve their communication skills so that they can get the kind of things we were just talking about, the feedback, the encouragement, the support. Because anytime you're trying to change a behavior, you said it earlier, change is hard. And especially if it's a, a long time ingrained behavior, just taking a simple one like listening and not interrupting someone or finishing their sentences. That is um, a habit we get into. And it helps if we have another person that we can talk with about that. So that was one of the big reasons we wrote that was to follow up on our other books so they could be used together as somebody is um, learning how to be a better listener or learning how to give feedback more effectively. They have another person they can really connect with. So we wanted them to understand what does it look like to be an effective peer coach? Mm. So that that was really the impetus. What's been interesting, Elena, is we have a lot of people that get the Peer Coaching Made Simple book first because they're interested in putting coaching partners in place because they know they can't bring in a professional coach for every single person in the organization. But the fact is everybody needs a coach. Mm -hmm. So then they get the Connect With Your Team book to help supplement the skills that the coaches need with each other. So it's been interesting to see how those two have worked together. Yeah, I, I think that, that that's really great that that's out there and kind of as a resource, I always joke and say people, well, it's not really a joke, but people tend to laugh when I say this. And so I, I feel like maybe it's a joke, but um, I always say you need to have a coach, a therapist and a mentor. So in, in your life continuously throughout throughout your life, you know, um, you know, it benefits everybody, no matter how well you think you're doing, no matter how, you know, it's just, it's just part of your well-being. You just incorporate it as part of your well-being. Um, but I, I kind of want to take us back a little bit because something that when you were talking about communication, and I'm, I'm always curious because you have this, you know, very rich experience, um, uh, pre-COVID, pre-internet and communication and training and leadership world. So I'm curious, has there been like, what are some major shifts, if any, between when you were doing communication training to uh, organizations, you know, even pre-internet and then today? Like, are the challenges the same for individuals? Have they changed? Like, I'm just curious. Well, it's interesting because we don't really do a lot of direct training. We, I, I do a lot of presentations um, around certain topics. What I'm seeing people have that need for connection. And so what I have seen looking at managers, how did they adapt to having teams all working remotely from home? Those who thrived really kicked in immediately to figure out what each person on their team needed in order to be able to work effectively because there were so many complications involved mm -hmm. with people working from home. Now, all of a sudden they had to juggle, especially the year the kids were all home, you know, working, uh, going to school remotely. Mm -hmm. How do we juggle all this? So the folks who were able to maintain the highest levels of productivity are those who 
had a manager who took time to find out what they needed, mm. now, what was going on with them, to have these conversations, not just about have you done A, B, C, you know, going down the checklist, mm -hmm. but just to look them in the eye and say, how are you doing? You know, what are, is there anything you're struggling with? Is there anything you need my help for? Just having that person who cares mm -hmm. made a huge difference in how people felt about their work. And that's part of the whole great resignation piece is when people were working from home, and now the shift of going back and the resistance people are having to that because it worked, but people at the top often have the mindset, we got to go back as much as we can to the way things were, instead of finding out what do people really want and need and what's working for them as well as what's working for the whole organization. Mm -hmm. So interesting aspect of your question, I think it has all to do with this communication skills that the managers had and were able to use with each other, which ties in with your point about emotional intelligence earlier, because that's what it's all related to, you know, how am I managing my own self-awareness of what's going on around me? What am I noticing? And then how am I interacting with those others whose work, whose lives are important to me? What I, what I find kind of funny about this is that companies throw so much money onto perks and all these things for or in organizations. But at the end of the day, if you don't have a manager that knows how to care for their staff, has strong emotional intelligence, able to build those connections, make time, right? Make time irrelevant to how busy they are for the, the people on their teams. That's where the magic formula is at. And I see so many companies putting band-aids on broken legs by throwing Fitbits and yoga mats and et cetera, and calling it well-being when the, the employee does not have the support of the actual manager, which is all they really want to need. And they can probably scratch the perks if they really had to choose. Yes. And you know, all it takes is simple questions mm -hmm. like, what would your what would make your experience working in this company more satisfying? Mm -hmm. Or what would make here's a good one for managers, what would make your experience working with me better? <laughs> so that they find out what is it this person really wants and needs from me, from this company, without making assumptions. Because, you know, we, we kind of project our own stories onto other people in terms of their motives, what drives them. And if we don't ask, we have no way of really knowing if what we're thinking is accurate. Mm, yeah, very, very true. Um, I want to ask you a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey. In particular, I'm just curious, how do you stay motivated for, you know, you, you, you've been an entrepreneur for over 30 years and, um, and, and so many people give up so, so, so early on. So, you know, how do you build that resilience? Because I'm sure it's a roller coaster as it always it is. is. It is. I am not painting a picture where it's all a bed of roses, you know, or sunshine. There are challenges. The three of us have had challenges among each other at times, but fortunately we've had, you know, good communication skills to be able to work through that. But also, you know, the economy, there were so many events that have happened that have caused, you know, our business to ebb and flow. 
-hmm. And I think what has kept me always excited and going is really my purpose around making a difference, not from an ego perspective, but I see a lot of pain in the workplace and families because people do not know how to connect effectively with each other. Mm -hmm. And so every day I'm looking for ways of how I can make a positive difference so that I relieve some of that pain and instead help people have more joy, more satisfaction in their relationships with their co-workers, with their manager, with their family members. That's what really drives me. I feel that I have a responsibility because there's a lot I know that I can share in various ways through our books, through our software products, through presentations, through my podcasts. There are just so many ways and I love them all. So I think the key, Elena, is having a deep belief in you know, why you're here, what, what difference can you make in the world? Because if I'm only focused on myself, I would lose interest pretty quick. If I don't have something bigger that I'm shooting for. So I think that's a, a real important driver for any entrepreneur. What's the bigger picture, not just my goals for this week or even next year or five years. It's what is it that I'm doing that can make a difference? for the lives of others and grow me in the process because that's part of what drives me too is how can I expand beyond what I already know what I'm already doing and I love those kinds of challenges I like putting myself in situations where I don't have all the answers but I know I can find them and figure it out along the way yeah that's very very powerful yeah it's that purpose and then the challenge because I think also as an, as an entrepreneur unless you have that soundboard and that mirror that can you know kind of question question you and you know or a great business partners who can kind of say you know maybe, maybe we can do this better right um, maybe we can do this differently and somebody who keeps challenging you because it's very kind of difficult if you are the boss essentially of your own of your own thing it's very difficult to have people that can kind of give you that constructive feedback so, and it's painful and it's uncomfortable, <laughs> you know, but I think that's, that's what kind of remembering your purpose. And then also just continuing to maintain that relevance, continuing to upskilling and changing yourself as many times as necessary so that you can continue to, to live that purpose. Um, is yes. essential. And that's, that's, that's difficult to do. So, and I, you know, I just thought of two other things. One is having the attitude that everything that's happening is happening for me. Mm. And that way I don't ever feel like I'm a victim. You know, I don't ever say, why did that happen? Why is this not working out? I'm always looking at how can I use this going through this tough time to learn so that the next thing I do, I'm taking that learning with me. So when we have that kind of attitude, that helps us with resilience because we don't take it personally. It's not something happening to me. It's happening. And I and I like I choose to see it as happening for me. So if I see it as a benefit, then I can always find some kind of magic lining there that works. The other thing is having an attitude of appreciation. And so one of the things that's happened with my two partners and me is over the years, we've come to really appreciate the unique 
contribution that each of us makes to the business. And we're always looking for ways to express that verbally mm -hmm. with each other or in writing so that, you know, we each feel valued. Mm -hmm. And I think if we could all bring that to everyone we're interacting with, thinking about what value this individual here brings to my life mm -hmm. and how am I letting them know that? How am I conveying to them you're valuable to me? you're valuable to our company so that they don't feel taken for granted. Cause that's another reason people leave is they don't feel valued. Mm -hmm. So part of it is not slowing down long enough to identify what is the value of this person to me. Mm -hmm. So first of all, noticing and then consciously being aware of it so that when you see it, and experience it, you express that appreciation to the other person. Every human being has a need to feel appreciated and feel valued. And if we would just keep that in mind, <clears throat> the world would be a much better place, but each one of us would be living such a more positive life because we are now looking at how can I give to these other people that mean so much to me, instead of looking at well, what have you done for me lately? If we turn it around and we're always looking at how can I serve this person? How can I help them feel they matter? Mm. That's that's the key to me of being a fulfilled human being is recognizing the importance of that and then living every day to convey that to the people you encounter in your life. Mm. It's a beautiful message. I love it. It's a beautiful message. Um, on that note, if people want to get in touch with you or if they want to kind of hear more from you and some things that you're doing, will be the best way to do that? Where do you hang out at on social media? Sure. Well, our website is growstrongleaders.com and you can learn about our books, our products, and my podcast there. My podcast has the same name, Grow Strong Leaders. I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook and Twitter, probably the most on LinkedIn. And um, if they wanted to get in touch with me on our Grow Strong Leaders website, there's a contact Meredith button right there where they can um, reach out and set up a time to have a conversation. Great. Meredith, thank you so much for taking the time and for, for, for really just bringing some insights and some practical tips on how we can be better as individuals. And I think that's part of it is awareness. So thank you for bringing awareness to these topics with us. And um, uh, I look forward to having another chat, hopefully when the next book comes out and the next one and the next one, and you keep making an impact with your work. Um, so thank you. Thank you, Elena.